Hey, I want you to travel with me, if you will, in your mind, uh, to the south of Sweden, uh, to the middle of a lake, Lake Vatern, where there's an island called Visingso. Visingso has a large and mysterious oak forest uh, on this island. It's mysterious because oak trees are not native to this island in Sweden. And for over 100 years, not very many people knew how this forest came to exist. Then in 1980, the Swedish Navy received a letter from the Swedish Forestry Department that said, in effect, the lumber you ordered is ready. Now, the Swedish Navy didn't remember ordering any lumber. In fact, most of their ships by 1980 weren't even made out of wood, and so they did a little bit of research to find out where this came, up, came from. It turned out in 1829, 1829 the, uh, some members of the Swedish parliament had anticipated a lumber shortage, that there would be a need in, at the turn of the 21st century to uh, have some more lumber to help build some ships. And so in, in 1829, they ordered that 20,000 oak trees be planted on this island to supply, knowing that oak trees took 150 years to mature, to supply the lumber that they knew would be needed at the turn of the 21st century. Uh, that's what it means to think long. All right, in 1829, to plant some trees, knowing that in the 1980s, 1990s, 2000s, uh, there would be a need for lumber. Well, today, we're finishing this series called The Circle Maker. The name and idea from this series was taken from the Mark Batterson book called The Circle Maker. And for the last four weeks, we've been talking about prayer. We've been talking about what it means to, uh, to be in prayer. And if you've missed any of these three weeks before, I urge you to go to our website at genesischurch.me and listen to the podcast because they kind of all build on one another. Um, but uh, we, week one, we talked about the legend of the circle maker and how that was born and why the book is called The Circle Maker. And so we talked about how God honors specific prayers, that when we pray things that are specific to our situation and our time, that God honors those prayers. And then if you remember week two, Kevin Russell was here, the guy you just saw on the screen there. And Kevin talked about what it means to pray big prayers, that God isn't intimidated or offended by your biggest dreams and your biggest hopes, that he's bigger than anything that life can throw our way. And then last week, Ben Krause, I heard, did an outstanding job of reminding us to be persistent in our prayers, you know, that God invites us to keep praying for the things that mean the most to us. Well, this week, as we bring the series to a close, we don't want to talk about persistent prayers as much as we want to talk about consistent prayers. We want to talk about, I feel like it would be remiss to skip over the one prayer that Jesus offers in Scripture, the one thing that Jesus really has to say about prayer. I mean, more than anyone else in the history of mankind, Jesus understood the heart of God. He, he was in closer contact with God than any person who ever lived. And so I'm going to spend pretty much all morning looking at how Jesus reminds us to pray and what that has to do with our long-term prayers. And so if you have a Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 6. Um, you can find a Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, there may be one of these laying around you. There are several in the aisles under the seats, um, and it's on page 678 in this Bible. If you have one of these, if you have your own Bible, uh, I don't know what page it's on. I'm sorry. Um, it's in Matthew, uh, first book in the, in the New Testament. Uh, those will be on the screen, too. If you don't own a Bible and you see one of these laying around, take it home with you. It's, it's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have that. Okay, so we're going to start in Matthew 6. I hope what you'll see is a theme in the prayers of Jesus, that he teaches us to pray, but when he's praying, he's praying for things that have a much longer time horizon than what we usually pray for in our day-to-day -day and week-to-week prayers. I mean, you might say he's even praying with an eternal perspective. 
So in the same way the Swedish parliament was thinking long when they ordered the planting of 20,000 oak trees on this island, what you'll see in the prayer of Jesus is that he's inviting us out of our temporary circumstances. He's inviting us to step out of the things that are bothering us right now into what I would call kingdom prayer. Now, many of you know uh, this passage of Scripture as the Lord's Prayer. That's what we're going to talk about today. And if you grew up in church, you may even know it. You may even know it by heart. Uh, but we're going to read it. Well, I thought what we do is let's read this together, okay? We'll read this prayer together, and then I want to talk about what it means. It'll be on the screen here if you don't have it. If, you've got it in the, if you're a King James person or if you're a, uh, a different version and you know this by heart, go ahead and say it even if it doesn't match what's on the screen. It's okay. It all means the same thing. So here, here let's read this together. Uh, let's start with our Father. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so... Uh, Jesus says that, and what we're going to do, what I want to do with this prayer, okay, is I want to take, I want to find five words in here that I'm going to ask you to write down on your note card. I mean, we got this new sermon note card, and so we're going to make use of it. And so I'm going I'm to write down five words as we go through this prayer that you can remember and you can use, so that maybe you stick it even in the page of your Bible where uh, the Lord's Prayer is. But this will be a pattern for us, okay? What we want to do is um, Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. At the very beginning, this then is how you should pray. The word that we notice is then, right? So uh, when we see the word then, it means that he just said something that has something to do with that. He said something that's important to that. And so what I want to do is look back a few verses and see why is Jesus telling us then? Okay, this then is why you should pray. And so let's go back to verse 5. Just skip back a few verses, and it says this. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And then he goes on. He says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus starts out this prayer with a warning. He he says, some of you are not praying for the right reasons. He says, you're praying to please people. All right? And when we do that, uh, when we pray in public, okay? Maybe you've been with a friend who's in a tough situation and you just want to say, you want to comfort them. And so you'll say, hey, I've been praying for you. But you know down deep in your heart that you've not prayed for that person. Jesus is saying, when you do that, You're doing it to please people. And he says, no, I I want you to pray to please God. And then he says, don't keep babbling on like pagans. Now, I know most of us, even if we pray long prayers, even if we pray things we don't really understand, wouldn't think of ourselves as pagans, but we still, we babble on occasionally. We, We tend to think the more words we use, the better, or the bigger words we use, the better. So we'll say things like, dear Lord, thank you for the many blessings you so graciously bestow upon us. And that sounds great. I mean, it sounds holy, but you never use those words anywhere else in your life. You never say, waiter, thank you so much for the Diet Coke you so graciously bestowed upon me. You know, would, wouldst thou 
could I bother thou for thy chips and salsa? You never say anything like that, right? You don't use those words in real life. So Jesus says, don't do that. When you pray, don't do that. And so here's how he's going to start. And, and to help with this, my daughters, Grace and Audrey, are going to come up here on stage and help me. They said that they would do that. And so Matthew 6, 9, he says this. This then, this then, because of that, you shouldn't do that. So this then is how you should pray. Okay, he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now notice he says, this is how you should pray. Jesus isn't saying, this is what you should pray. Okay, so this isn't an invitation to repeat the exact words. Hi, girls. How are you? Good. This is my daughter, Grace. This is my daughter, Audrey. They're my girls, um, and I love them very much. But I called them up just a second too early, so I've got to go on with something real quick, okay? Because I want to tell them that Jesus isn't saying, this is what you should pray. He's not inviting us to repeat these words. Yeah, have a seat. Make yourself comfortable. It's not bad to memorize scripture, okay? It's not bad to memorize this prayer, but he's saying, here, I want to give you a pattern, okay? Here's what I want to do. I want to give you a pattern that you can use so that when you pray, um, that you'll know how to pray, all right? He says, you know, don't, don't memorize this prayer. If you memorize this prayer and just use this prayer all the time, you end up babbling on and on like the pagans. I mean, that's, you're, you're saying words that don't really mean anything to you anymore. He says, that's not what I want you to do. He says, I want to give you a perspective, from which to pray. He's saying, if you're going to pray, pray like this. And I think what you're going to see is that Jesus is inviting us into some prayers that are pretty dangerous prayers. Okay, stand up, girls. He starts out with our Father. And I know that this is a stumbling block for some of you already because you didn't have a loving Father. You know, maybe your Father wasn't a great man uh, and you didn't have a great relationship with him. Maybe you still don't. I mean, maybe your father abused you or beat you, or maybe your father walked out on you. And when you think of God as father, you think the same thing about him. Maybe you don't really have a love relationship with your father like I have with my beautiful girls. Here, you come over here. Is that all right? But when I want them to relate with me, I want them to have this this, um, idea of their dad as somebody who always has their best interests at heart. Like that, that I love them, and they know I love them. And from time to time, they're going to be disciplined. They're going to, right, girls? Yeah. yeah. They're going to have trouble. You know, Jesus says, in this life, you'll have trouble. So I just want to remind you that in this life, you will get in trouble sometimes. But when I do that, when I discipline them, I do it because I love them. And because in the long term, I have their best interests at heart, right? And maybe for you, your father was, uh, your relationship with your father was all about rules, And so that's what you project onto God. And, you know, as long as you followed your dad's rules, then things were okay. But if you ever got out of line, um, things didn't go so well. I love it when my girls obey me. You know that, right? But if our relationship was all about obedience, well, they wouldn't really be my daughters, and I wouldn't really be their father. I would be like their boss or their slave owner, you know, their master. That's not the kind of relationship I want. I want a relationship where they obey out of love. And when they relate to me, I want them to relate to me like I am their loving father. And so when we, Jesus says, when you pray to God, you should pray like God is your loving heavenly father. Okay, girls, you can go sit down. Thank you for that. I do love them. I'm crazy about them, and it helps me remember how God feels about me because even from time to time, I get this feeling like I screwed up. God must not love me. He's probably disappointed in me. And um, when I think about how I feel about my girls, that when they screw up, I love them. 
And when they do things well, I love them. And when they mess up and when they fall down, I love them. And that's how God feels about us. You know, it's, and, and when I say no to them, it's usually because I know that in the long run, that's what's best for them. I, I love what pastor and author Tim Keller says. He says, God will only give you what you would have asked for if you know everything he knows. I mean, think about that as a father. That's what you do, right? You talk to your kids and you go, hey, if you knew everything I knew, this is the decision you would make. Well, that's what God does too. Jesus could have chosen a lot of ways to address God when he's teaching us to pray. You know, he could have, he could have said Lord, he could have said King, but he said Father. And not because it, he was his father, because he says our father, right? That's the first word, our father. He, he chose to show us that the God of the universe wants to start that relationship with love. He wants us to talk to him in the same way the child talks to a loving father, with affection, with joy, with an understanding that he knows best. So he says, our father in heaven, hallowed be our name. Now, hallowed, hallowed be your name. That's, hallowed's a word that we don't use very often outside of church, right? It's a word that can be translated as the holy, holy be your name. And I think there's two implications here when Jesus tells us to pray this. One is we have to recognize, okay, we have to recognize that God is holy. That when we pray to him, we're talking to the same God that created the earth. The same God that created the sun and put it 93 million miles away. I mean, think about this. The exact best distance to sustain life, to to warm us in the summer and to cool us in the winter. And even when we complain about it being too hot or too cold, I mean, just think about the amazing knowledge that God had to put... This thing that's going to support all life on earth, the exact right distance. I mean, that that no other planet that we know of has all the things in place to support life. But God created that. He thought of that because he's so much smarter than we are. He's so much better than we are. He's so much holier, okay, than we are. And we should recognize that when we pray. It may help us to understand that when we pray, even when we pray for things we want to ask for, that his ways are higher than our ways. Right? They're holier than our ways. It helps us change our mind to expect that no matter how God answers our prayers, it is good and right and perfect because his name is hallowed or holy. So there's, a, there's an expectation that we remember that, but there's also an acknowledgement that we want to make his name holy. All right, That we're saying, let your name be holy. Let your name be holy to me that as I pray, I want to keep remembering that part of my job is to glorify your name, God. To make you holy. I want to keep remembering that. When, when people look at my life, I want them to see that the name of God is holy in my life. I mean, in a way, you're praying that other people will look at how I live, how I treat my spouse, how I treat my kids, how I serve my friends, how I lead my family, and my integrity at work, my sexual purity, the language that I use, and they will see that I keep God's name holy and all those things are hallowed. So here's what I want you to do on your card. And number one, just write, Holy Father. All right, Holy Father. That's how God wants us to view him. So that would be the first thing. Matthew 6.10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, number two on your card, you can just write kingdom there. All right, write kingdom. This, this verse is one sentence. Well, it's not even a sentence, really. It's a phrase. Uh, your kingdom come, your will be done. But there's so much power and so much implication in this phrase. It's part of what makes this a dangerous prayer when we use this pattern of prayer. A lot of us will pray for God's will, but when we pray in a situation, we'll pray, God, in this situation, in my life, in this little piece, I want your will to be done. This, This problem, please go ahead and impose your will on that. But that's not what Jesus tells us to pray for. He says, your kingdom come. 
God's kingdom is to be delivered to earth. That's what we're supposed to pray for, for God's kingdom to come here. Now, God's kingdom is any place that God is king. And Jesus said that we should pray that that kingdom will come to earth. Now, here's what's going to happen when God's kingdom comes. All other kingdoms are going to be destroyed. All right? And here's why that's a problem for us. Here's what makes that a dangerous prayer. You and I spend a large portion of our lives building our kingdom. We spend a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of money building our own kingdoms. We buy homes and build families where we can establish our own rule. We we buy things we like with money that we earn to please the desires of our flesh, and we feel that we like to be in control of those things. We sit in our lazy boy thrones and we think, I am king of this castle. But when God's kingdom comes, that all goes away. That kingdom is destroyed. So we really need to think about this before we pray like this. When when God's kingdom comes, our kingdom goes. When God's kingdom comes, we become far more concerned about the things that God cares about and we lose interest in the things that we spend all of our time thinking about. Let me give you a glimpse of God's kingdom, okay? Isaiah 45 says this. Isaiah 45, 23. Before me, every knee, before, before God, before me, every knee will bow. By me, every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. See, when the kingdom of God comes, everybody will know. Everybody will proclaim the name of God. All of us. It doesn't matter what you believe now. Christian, Muslim, Hindu, atheist. We we don't know. Don't care. All right? Whoever you are, when the kingdom of God comes... Scripture tells us every knee will bow, every tongue will swear that he is God. And for those who have made that choice to follow him, to trust in the name of Jesus before that day, to submit to his reign, they will find deliverance and strength. That's what Scripture tells us. You will find deliverance and strength. But for all who have raged against him, okay, they'll come to him, all right? They will come face to face with God. And if you aren't submitted to him, if you try to put your kingdom above his you'll end up face-to-face with him. And Scripture says you will be put to shame. That's why it's so important to think long-term when we pray. How often do we get caught up in praying for the things that are right in front of us, for for this sickness, for, for our job, for our friends that are in their tough situations? But how often do we take the time to pray for somebody's relationship with God? To pray for salvation. It's why back in the spring, as we uh, finished up our Follow Me series, if you were here, you may remember this. Every, every one of us filled out one of these cards, these My One cards, where we, we said, hey, each, each of us have one person that we could be praying for to come to know Jesus as their Savior because that's going to make a difference for their eternity. And we've got, this is a stack of about 115 or 120 cards that we collected here at Carmel. And we've been praying over these um, since we've received them. And, and some of you are already seeing fruit from the name you wrote on this card. And some of you um, have written a name that you'll be praying for for the rest of their life. And it may not be till their last day that they come to know Christ. But if it's their last day, it'll all be worth it. All those prayers will be worth it. I mean, every person who was here that day and on subsequent, a couple of subsequent Sundays got the chance to write a name on these cards. Uh, a person that they needed, that they knew needed help, help helping, find, helping people find their way back to God. And we encourage you to be praying for those people. And we encourage you to still be praying for these people. It's why on the bottom of our what's happening, you might notice, hey, how are you doing? Praying for your one, if you've, you've thought about that. 
You know, it's the same reason that Genesis Church decided to become a multi-site church. If you're new here or you don't know, we have uh, two campuses. Genesis has. We're one church in two locations. Uh, We launched this campus two years ago out of our Noblesville campus. Uh, As we continued to grow, we decided we didn't want to just build bigger and bigger buildings or bigger auditoriums. Lots of churches do that, and that's okay. We're not upset with them. We we love some of those churches, but that's just not us. We, We love the idea that we can be a small church, that when... You know, a member of our family hurts, like happened this week, that we can hurt with them. When a member of our family rejoices, we get to rejoice with them. It's one of the things we love about being smaller churches, you know. And we had people that were at our Noblesville campus that said, I love coming to this church, but you know what? I've invited my neighbors and my friends, and it's just too far. They won't drive here. So we decided if we can't bring their neighbors to a church service, we'll take the church service to the neighbors. You know, let's, we planted a second campus here in Carmel, and as we continue to grow, and we are growing, and you can't tell looking around the room in the summer sometimes when it's a little down, but we're up 30% over attendance last summer at this campus. And you think about that, this, this God continues to bring people here, and people are finding their way back to God here. And it's why as we continue to grow, we'll continue to launch new campuses and plant new churches. In fact, a couple of years ago, our, our lead pastor, Paul Mumal, laid out this, this vision of t- doing 20 new things in 20 years. And that might be planting new churches, and it might be launching new campuses, and we launched this campus in 2012, and 2013, we helped plant a church uh, down in the Cincinnati area with our former youth pastor, Josh Tandy. It's, you know, we're going to try something new every year. It might be planting churches, it might be launching campuses, it might be starting new service, but we're going to do something to help people find their way back to God, because that's what this church is all about. It's our role in helping God's kingdom come. So while we're one church in two locations now, someday, by God's grace, we might be one church in three locations. One church in four locations, or five, or ten. And while we don't have an announcement to make today, we're not, we don't even have a campus, a third campus in mind right now, I hope that you'll pray along with us for that, because we're praying that people would come to know the name of Jesus. But we also continue praying for this campus. Um, I regularly pray for certain neighborhoods in and around Carmel. I know this week I was driving to work, and in Carmel there was a car accident. And I had a, a road blocked, and I ended up having to take a detour um, through another neighborhood. And my reaction, I know I'm a pastor, I probably shouldn't think this way, but my reaction when I get detoured is the same as yours probably is. And that's, doggone it, why do I have to go this way? Why do, it's going to take me longer to get to work. I've got all this stuff to do. Um, I know you probably think I'm better than that, but no, that's exactly how I think. It's how you think. And then I realized that this is a great opportunity to pray for this neighborhood that I got diverted through. And so I... I took my time driving through this neighborhood and slowed down and stopped in front of some houses. And they probably thought it was a little creepy that some guy has stopped in front of my house and he's got his eyes closed. But I was praying for people in this neighborhood. And I was praying for people here in this room that might live there, that might get to invite their neighbors sometime. And so I just take that opportunity when I can. You know, I don't know if you've heard this or not, but there are plans uh, in the works now for a huge mixed-use development right there, uh, right across Old, uh, right across Main Street on the other side, um, it's supposed to look like this. It's called Sophia Point, and uh, it plans to be a residential retail development similar to what's happening in the Arts District. In fact, this building looks much like the other one that they have in the Arts District. But the current plans, according to the Indianapolis Business Journal this week, are for 200 apartments uh, right across the street. And just this week when I saw that article, I've already begun praying for people who are going to live there when they open in 2018. That that this church could have an impact on that neighborhood, that the people who are going to live in those apartments, some of them, I trust, by God's grace, are going to find their way back to God here in this building at this church. And that's what I've been praying for. I hope you'll pray along with me. We want to pray for people to come into a relationship with Christ. We want to, I don't mean just mean the people around you, but I'm talking about praying 
maybe people you don't even know. Thinking about the long-term prayers, you know, if the Swedish Navy has the forethought to plant oak trees 150 years before they're going to need them, how much more should we be praying for our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, even before they're born? Someone in our church a few weeks ago came up to me and asked if I ever pray for my daughter's future husbands. You know, fortunately, I do, probably not as often as I need to, but she said she's been doing that since her daughter was born. And soon her daughter's going to get married and she's going to marry a godly man. And she blames it all on those prayers, those nights spent on her knees praying for her daughter's future husband. And, and I know that family couldn't be happier about it. You know, praying for our children and our grandchildren is one of the most important ways that you can pray for God's kingdom to come. In fact, I, I did a wedding um, not too long ago where I got to talk to the bride and groom about um, what I always, always ask the bride and groom, what has led you to this point in your life? And um, one couple that I married, uh, she had an incredible story about her grandfather's prayers. I wanted you to see this. Take a look at this. words that are characteristics of God that really I felt was really pertaining to my life. Um, and so one of the words that came up to me was the word protection. I really felt that God had always, I think in my past, I felt like God had protected me. And I never really knew why that was. It was just something that stood out to me. Well, then um, one time we went up to my grandparents' house, and my grandpa is a retired pastor. So, um, Typically, he would pray really long prayers before every meal. Um, and one of the things that, and he would kind of go through each day and remember and pray for me specifically for him. And for me, he just had prayed that I would feel protected. And I was kind of shocked. I was like, oh my gosh, like that's the word that I really felt was standing out to me. Um, so I thought that was really neat and just really evident that it was my grandpa's prayers that were um, keeping me protected. Throughout the uh, throughout my life and the various jobs that I've had, uh, I realized that my workplace is somewhere that I feel comfortable sharing my faith and being honest mm-hmm. with what I believe in about God. And not only did I realize that, but it occurred to me that not everybody feels that way. And I kind of started to wonder, why is that? Why do I feel that way? Why do I feel comfortable sharing my faith there? Um, when other people maybe don't feel comfortable or they feel comfortable in other places that I don't feel comfortable. Um, and kind of, I don't know, after thinking about it for a little while, I, I realized that I remember when my grandpa came to visit me one time and um, he, before leaving, was just, he kind of asked him at one point how work was going and I told him, and he was like, well, Melissa, one thing that, you know, we've always prayed for is that you would feel comfortable sharing your faith at work, and that would be a place of ministry for you. And I just can't help but just smile thinking, man, I'm so thankful that um, he's prayed for these random things in my life, and it's so cool to see how they've um, become true. And you can say I'm really thankful for a God that has honored those prayers.
I, I love Melissa and Andrew, and I love her story, and I love um, the idea that her grandfather's prayers, like a generation later, have had an impact on her life, and we want that for everybody in our church. And so we, we bought these books for you guys. Uh, this is called Praying Circles Around Your Children. It's a companion to the circle maker, and we have one for every family that we want to hand out. The, the host team will have these out at the door uh, when you walk out. So if you have kids or you're thinking about having kids, you want to be praying for your children, um, grab one of these on your way out, and we hope you'll read it. Uh, when you pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're not just, you're not just praying for God's will in one little area of your life, all right? You're praying that God's kingdom would come here. You're praying that I want it to be on earth like it is in heaven. We need to be careful if we're going to pray that, okay? Matthew 6, 11. Let's go on. Give us today our daily bread. Uh, if you have your card there, write provision. Write provision on there. You know, on the surface, this looks like a short-term prayer. This is, this is what we pray for. God, give me dot, dot, dot. Okay, these are the things that we pray for so often. It's acknowledgement, though, that God is our provider, that he provides all things, including what we'll eat today. But when was the last time you actually had to pray for your daily bread? You know, for most of us, we don't have to pray for our daily bread because we already know we're going to go out to lunch after church today. And we already know that we've got enough money to go out to lunch tomorrow if we have to, too. And we can, we've got money that we, we're our own provider in so many ways. We don't pray. In fact, if God only gave us our daily bread, some of us would be pretty ticked off. Because we want tomorrow's bread and the next day's bread. We want to make sure that we can put away enough bread so that at some point in the future, we don't have to work to earn any more bread. That we can have enough bread to survive the rest of our lives. But what Jesus is saying is actually a long-term prayer. That we want to be dependent on God for the rest of our lives, for every day, for him to bring our daily bread. You know, it's not our employer that provides. It's not our 401k plan. It's not our savings account that God is our provider. I'm not depending on him to give me a surplus now so that I can save it up and I can be self-sufficient later that I'm going to depend on you, Lord, to give me my daily bread every day. I mean, uh, Proverbs uh, 30 uh, the writer of the proverb pray, writes this. He says, keep falsehood and lies far from me. And then he says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. I would never pray this. I've never prayed this. I have to be honest. I should pray it. I have never prayed this. I mean, he does pray, give me enough so I don't steal and dishonor your name. But then he, he says, don't make me too rich. How many of you ever prayed that? God, don't make me too rich. Crazy, right? But that's what he says. Don't make me too rich. I doubt very many of us have, it seems like a silly prayer, but when Jesus taught us to pray, that's exactly what he taught. Give us our daily bread, and that alone is enough to remind us of God's provision for our life. God is a God of provision. Verse 12. And forgive us our debts. Some of you said trespasses, Okay. You, you gave yourself away a little bit there. I can tell what generation you're from. Uh, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Boy, talk about a dangerous prayer. Would you write on your card number four there, write forgiveness. Is this really what we want? Do we really want God to forgive us how we forgive the people who wrong us? Because that's what Jesus told us to pray. We, we just ask God's forgiveness for us to be dependent on how remorseful we are for what we did. We just ask that God's forgiveness uh, for us to be dependent on if we say we're sorry or not. You know, think about it. How do we usually forgive people that treat us wrong? Slowly, agonizingly slowly, sometimes partially, <laughs> sometimes repeatedly, not completely, not usually anyway. I mean, when Jesus tells us to pray, if we follow this pattern, that's what we should pray. 
Why? Because he's reminding us how to forgive. He's telling us how important this horizontal act of forgiveness between you and me is for our vertical relationship with our Heavenly Father. So maybe it would help us then if we reverse that in our minds and say, help us forgive our debtors as, Lord, you have forgiven me. How does God forgive us when we screw up? Well, Psalm 103, 12 says, as far as the east is from west, so far he's removed his transgressions, my transgressions from us. You know, those are directions. They're not places. All right, Isaiah 43, 25 says it this way. I, I even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Doesn't even remember. How many of us can forgive like that? You know, and this was made permanent once and for all by the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And what the disciples didn't know or didn't understand as they were walking with Jesus was this Jesus who right in this moment is teaching them how to pray would ultimately go on to die so that they could spend eternity with the very God they were praying to. And you and I enjoy that same promise today. In Ephesians 1.7, Paul writes, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So forgiveness, so forgiveness peace is so important. And then Jesus closes with this, Matthew 6, 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So number five, your fifth word there is deliverance, right? Deliverance on your card. What he reminds us is that you have an enemy, a mortal enemy in Satan who wants you to believe that you are too bad to be saved from your sin, that you are, he wants you to stumble and fall and, and make you feel like a failure so that you'll give up. So, so that you won't pray, you know, so that you'll be down on yourself and think about what you did yesterday and think God can't possibly use me tomorrow because of what I did yesterday. And so I can't possibly go to church Sunday morning because of what I did Saturday night. And you've got this enemy that's working on your mind like that, that's trying to remind you of those things. And so you come in to this place and you hear those songs and you think, I can't really uh, sing like that. Or you hear a message like this and, and we want you to praise his name because of that. And, and your enemy is saying, you know what, you can't praise him. Do you remember what you did? Don't you remember how you are? Don't you remember what kind of person you are? So Jesus says, remember, pray to be led away from temptation, to be delivered from the evil one. And so you think, I think I'm saved. I've accepted Christ as the Lord of my life. Why am I still tempted? Why do I still have to pray for deliverance from the enemy? So here's the thing about sin. When Christ went to the cross, he eliminated the penalty for sin. If you are in Christ, sin is costly, okay, but Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin are death. The penalty is death, but Jesus defeated that on the cross. If you are in Christ, that's been paid for you. You don't owe that anymore. There's no payment due. That that, that has been paid in full. On the cross, Christ defeated the penalty for sin. He also defeated the power of sin. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory Through the Lord Jesus Christ. So sin has no power over those who are in Christ. Sin has no penalty for us. But the presence of sin still lives on the earth. And you don't have to look any further than the nearest newscast to see what's happening in Gaza this week. What's happening in Ukraine this week. What's happening happening right here in Indianapolis. I mean, we're on track for our highest murder rate in 20 years. It's why it's important for us to pray because the presence of sin is still on the earth. It's why we need to cry out to God and let him hear what we're up against. Why we need to listen to him and hear what he has to say. When we pray to a God we don't know or don't understand, we can feel like we're just running on a treadmill, like we're not getting anywhere. But when we pray to a holy father who loves us, we have someone who cares, 
Somebody who listens. When, when God's kingdom comes, the presence of sin will be eliminated. Revelation 21 gives us a great picture of what the kingdom of God looks like. It says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. Sin can't exist in God's presence. Right? God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy or true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega. That's the beginning and the end, right? To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. When we think long-term in our prayers, that's what we point toward. We point to that day. That's what we look forward to, what we long for. I mean, imagine that, a place with no more crying or mourning or pain. And this week, when Jonathan Brumley stepped into eternity, he stepped into this place with no more mourning or crying or pain. He, he stepped into this perfect world. He was made perfect, where he can run and talk and dance and laugh. It's what we look for. No more doctors who've done all they could do. You know, no more 3 a.m. phone calls. No more x-rays or MRIs. No more sleepless nights worrying where your son is or where your daughter is. No more crying over... Negative pregnancy tests or positive CAT scans. No more financial stress. No more. No more. God says, I am making all things new. And that's why we want to make him famous. That's why we're all about exalting the one who makes all these things happen. Think about this. All the rulers, all the authorities of this world, no one has ever kept his promises like God keeps his promises. Did you know in the Old Testament there are 300 prophecies about this Messiah that was to come, this Savior that was to come, and Jesus Christ fulfilled all 300 of them, where he would be from, what he would be like, what he would do, showing us once again that God always keeps his promises. No one else has that record. No king, no emperor, no prince or princess, no president, no prime minister, certainly no congressman, no one. No one, no one, no one in the history of mankind has ever kept his promises like God keeps his promises. That's why we pray to him. That's why we come here on Sunday morning to praise him. That's why we want to follow him during the week. That's why we want to make the name of Jesus famous. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you pray with me? God, it's so easy to see that verse and to look forward to that day when we're just going to evacuate where we can be done with this world and we can be in your kingdom in heaven and see all the people we love and see all the things that you're doing that are so great and mighty and just be in your presence and dwell in your presence. And God, I look so forward to that day. But right now I know that you've called us to pray your kingdom here, that we've got a job to do here on the earth. We need to help people find their way back to you because God, if your kingdom comes today, there are people here, there are people in this room that aren't even going to be there. And so, Lord, I just pray right now for people here that don't have a relationship with you. They've been hearing about prayer now for four weeks and they go, I don't even know this God I'm praying to. Man, if that's you, if that sounds like you, you say, I want to, I want to know those things. I want to see that perfect day, but I don't have a relationship with God. You can just pray this prayer along with me. Just pray, God, I need you in my life. Lord, I've tried to do this on my own, but I know that I have messed up 
I have sinned and I need you to come in and be my savior, Lord. Jesus, I submit to your lordship in my life. I wanna follow you for the rest of my days. And if you make that proclamation, welcome to the kingdom of God. You're a, part of a, you're a part of a family now. And we are just so thankful for that. And Lord, as much as we wanna see heaven someday, we wanna see you bring heaven here. And so as we pray now as a group, as a congregation, we pray together that you would make your kingdom known here on earth, that we would be a part of that, that we could help people find their way back to God so that even now, even today, we would see a little glimpse of what you wanna do in heaven right here on earth. God, we pray that in the name of Jesus, amen.